As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to episode 133 of the Keith Law Show. My guest this week will be, I believe, a third time guest. Uh, Once I get guests around for the fifth time, I'm going to have to start a whole club like Saturday Night Live. Call me Mr. Steve Martin. Sarah is a an analyst for MLB and is also uh, has been very public for the last year about her fight with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, and has been an advocate for awareness and for funding research for the disease. You can go to starsforsarah.org if you want to make a contribution and purchase a star in her name or through her through her efforts with the money going to fund ALS research. So I'm very much looking forward to the chat with her. For those of you who subscribe to The Athletic, I put up my hypothetical postseason award ballots for the five awards on which I don't have a vote for the player awards. I just can't with the managers. I just can't get excited about it. Um, I have NL Rookie of the Year. I don't think it's that much of a surprise. Probably the only thing that will be interesting at all is who I put third on that particular ballot. But I did list who I would probably vote for for the other five things, and people are really, really mad, even though it's all pretend. I will never understand that. Like, guys, go. It's it's still really nice out here in Delaware. Just go outside. It's just, yeah. Anyway, and then also just had some quick thoughts. The news desk asked me to just give some very, very quick reactions to some of the wildcard matchups, the uh, specific teams. I didn't spend a ton of time on this. I apologize if there's anything amiss in the article and a lot of people sort of misunderstood. Um, and, and this can this is on me as a writer. I was not clear about something I was saying about the Marlins getting in for the expanded playoffs, pointing out that the playoffs are just a lot larger than they were like when I was a kid. And that didn't come across very well. And I should have I, I should have phrased that differently. So I apologize. Um This is what happens when you write things too quickly. Anyway, those are the two big things up for subscribers to The Athletic. At some point, if not today, October 2nd, as I record this, perhaps tomorrow, there will be a new game review for me at Paste for the game Votes for Women. 
which might be my favorite game of the year. It's going to be very tough between that and the game Earth, at least based on what I've played so far for what is my number one game of the year. And there's still a couple of contenders out there. But Votes for Women is a really wonderful, very historically accurate game in terms of the materials, the theme, what you're trying to do. And it kind of folds in very familiar, this idea of area control in a game, which if you've played Risk, you know what an area control game is. Well, imagine that, but instead of sending armies, you're trying to campaign in the various states, um, there were only 48 at the time, for or against women's suffrage. It's a wonderful game. It looks great on the table. It's actually pretty easy to learn and I think offers a lot of uh, differentiation play to play as well as having a solo mode and a team mode, but it's primarily a me versus you, a two player, what we call asymmetric game because each side has different powers because they have different cards and they have different goals as well. But I, I was really blown away by votes for women. I'm very, very excited. That review will be up. If it's not up by now, it'll be up at paste very soon. Now it is my great pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend, former colleague at ESPN, Sarah Langs, who now works for MLB and is a strong advocate, I should say, for uh, ALS research. And if you want to support her efforts along those lines, you can go to starsforsarah with an H.org and purchase a Langs star to help uh, raise awareness and funds for ALS research. Also, if you followed Sarah anywhere on social media, you know her catchphrase, baseball is the best. And that is definitely going to be the theme of our conversation today. Sarah, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so much fun to talk baseball with you. So thank you. Absolutely. So as we talk, it's Monday, October 2nd. So we're in the the terrible day of no baseball (laughs) between the regular season and the wild card. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about the regular season, kind of what stood out for you. So I'll start with who, which team was the biggest surprise for you on the positive side this season? So there are two that come to mind. One is certainly the Orioles. I think everybody saw what they did last season and saw who they had coming up, what Adley Rushman did, and thought, great, they will be a really, really good fourth place team in a really competitive ALEs. I did not see anyone picking them to make the playoffs. I did not see anyone picking them to win 100 games and be the best team in in the American League. So I think even though usually biggest surprise isn't one of the absolute best teams, usually it's time. <laughs> one of these teams that within that sort of 85 plus win range, but I don't think you can overlook that. They're the first team to go from 110 losses to 100 wins in the three season span, which is absolutely incredible. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad for them. Now the other team I was thinking of that's a little bit more in like what we tend to consider is the Arizona Diamondbacks who are basically mm-hmm doing what the Orioles did last year, the difference being that they actually made the postseason in doing so. I know they led the division for a while, didn't end up winning it, but they made the playoffs. They arrived quote-unquote early to those who, you know, evaluate in that way. And I think that team did a really, really good job as well. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think those are great choices. Baltimore, 
for me especially, it's that their run prevention got so good so quickly. Like, I think we all believed they were going to score a lot of runs. We looked at, like you said, all the prospects who are coming, led by Adley Rutschman. They have surplus at so many positions. But I would have said, even coming into the season, I don't remember if I picked them to make the playoffs, but I, I think I questioned the pitching and, by extension, the run prevention. And the pitching took a big step forward this year, and it's it's not even just one guy. I think what's so fascinating is they've seen improvement from a number of players, ones they've developed themselves, and ones who came in from outside the organization. Absolutely. I mean, Kyle Bradish is going to get Cy Young votes, and I love seeing that. Dean Kramer, of course, taking steps forward. And I love the role that Kyle Gibson played on this team, being the veteran, being the guy really putting in those innings with the team that obviously as guys were reaching career high innings limits. And of course, right up your alley is Grayson Rodriguez and what happened with him coming up early in the year, struggling, going back down. And since he's come up the second time, has been really, really good for them. That's what you hope will happen. That is the ideal uh, sort of roadmap for something like that. And I think it's really a testament to them and their player development that that was able to happen in season while the team is winning 100 games. So how about biggest disappointment on the team side this year? And I can think of, I actually think there are more candidates here than there are on the positive side this year. Yeah, you know, I hate I hate this category for myself because it's so it's not negative. your personality. It isn't, but I can go back to my uh, preseason prediction. Right, I had the New York Mets in the playoffs. I had the San Diego Padres in the playoffs, and I had the Seattle Mariners in the playoffs as well. So I think it's probably one of those teams, and of course, they all had very different trajectories and very different reasons that we're picking them for the postseason. And I think, you know, from the Mets, it was age and injuries. The Padres, that offense never got going in the right way. And for the Mariners, you know, it just kind of all gelled together a bit to wait. That August really put them on the map. And then September, unfortunately, wasn't as good as August had been, but those are kind of the teams that come to mind. I suppose the Cardinals are up there as well, only because we always expect them to be there. <laughs> and for yep. once, we were dinged for having that kind of mentality. But uh, <laughs> I think those are the teams that come to mind for me. Yeah, the Cardinals, the Mets were my biggest miss. I had them winning 96 games. They won 74, and their Pythagorean was only 79 wins, so it's not like I can just hand wave it away. And I think my second biggest miss was uh, St. Louis. I was off by 17. I had them winning 88 games and taking uh, the last wild card spot one game ahead of the Phillies, who ended up taking the first wild card spot. I wasn't that far off on the Phillies, but I was way off on the Cardinals in there. They're, I'm going to be very fascinated to see what they do this offseason because I think you look at the Cardinals roster and think they should be better. They should have been better. They can return most of that group and still end up, you know, they could maybe return the group and just be better naturally. But I don't think anybody's going to be satisfying if they just stand pat this winter. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I really wonder again, you know, 
especially talking to you about the development of Jordan Walker. I thought it was really interesting how he made his debut and was up there with the record hit streaks to start a career. And then after that, he really struggled, goes back down to the minors. And then after he came back up, he was hitting much better. I mean, I saw him hit so many home runs toward the end of the year that really felt like too low, too late. But I also saw a decent amount of defensive struggles from him. Yeah. So I am curious to see how that goes. But I think, you know, often a team like that with a guy like that, who there was so much hype about in April, after the the season doesn't go as planned, you wonder how they reshape their plans. And I think he will still be at the center of that and should be and that he showed that down the stretch. I agree. Um, the last question I had was a, I, I asked beforehand, I said, just pick a favorite player from the year. Could be a breakout guy, just a guy with an interesting story. Because I just did my my uh, column a couple weeks ago on guys I was wrong about. And those are always super interesting to me. You named Kyle Bradish. He's one of them. Like suddenly I'm a Kyle Bradish fan because I love what he did. And he made me look completely wrong. Yeah, I was complete. Everything I said about him was wrong. So who's a, one guy? You can name more than one. But I also thinking of, I know you, this is to your personality too. You love guys like that who just sort of blossom, come out of nowhere. So give me one or more names who did that for you this year and who you just loved watching. Well, I mean, my first name I love watching did not come out of nowhere, and that's Joe Tani. But I still want to mention him because... We haven't talked about him in a month. You know, he only played three games in September. He's going to have played the, missed the most games to end his team season of anyone to win any BBWA award, an MVP or Cy Young, uh, besting a record, if you want to call that, set by Trout a couple of years ago. He is one of only three guys in the live ball era to lead his league in home runs despite not hitting any in September. But he was incredible. I mean, (laughs) I go back and I think about this season, and I think about that day in Detroit where he threw a shutout, his first of his career, and then his second game, he had two home runs. I mean, nobody (laughs) does that. Nobody does that the way he does. So he really stands out to me. And you know what? I'll stick with his team for a bit. I love watching Nolan Shawnwell uh, down the stretch here with as the season ends time for, I believe, the third longest on base streak to start a career since 1900. He will take that streak into next year. And I mean, I know the Angels were not great, but I think back to Zach Neto's arm, and there were a lot of really fun bits and pieces on that team this year. One thing I'll add on Chanuel, too, is you know, for folks who don't know, he, he was drafted in July and actually mm-hmm. drafted at Florida Atlantic, which is a, a good baseball school, but not an SEC school or an ACC school where you typically think they're the most prepared. And the Angels took him clearly with the intention all along of just getting him to the big leagues. And they did that with Zach Neto was in the big leagues in less than a year. And I hope this does encourage more teams to be aggressive with the most advanced college players this past draft was full of college hitters in the first round. I wonder if we'll see a lot of them in the majors next year. The Dylan Cruises and Wyatt Langford finished in AAA. Like, 
he should see the majors next year. It's, it's fun for me. I'm biased. I'm a prospect guy, obviously, but I share your excitement. I love seeing these guys get to the big leagues. I understand they won't all succeed right away, but having them get there sooner when they show that they're ready through the minors is just, I think, better for the sport and better for the individual player. So I'm, I'm glad you brought his name up. So I uh, wrote the other day about who I'd pick for, the, for five of the postseason awards. Um, and then I have NL Rookie of the Year, so I'm not saying anything about that. But if uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on um, well, we can go through all of them. Some of them, I think, are pretty easy. But to get your thoughts on who you'd have just first, or if you want to say first and second, say, for each of those awards. So why don't we start with AL MVP, because I think that one's pretty easy for you. Yeah, so for me, that has to be Shohei Otani. I know there's a really good argument for Corey Seager, who really did have an outstanding season, even with so much time missed. And, um, you know, I was... In August, I was thinking Julio Rodriguez would end up finishing second. Unfortunately, with how the team played down the stretch and uh, all that happened, again, with him as well, I'm just not sure. But I do expect him to finish top five. But for me, it's Otani. No question. I mean, the only... I mean, there's always so many questions at the end of a season. So many questions we'll never know the answer to. Otani, hands down, no question. If Aaron Judge had not missed all that time, I think he would be second in this. I mean, he ends up with all of those someone missing 50-plus games, just an incredible season, even in a small sample size some. He won't be finishing second, but if you look at the numbers on a rate basis, you know that he would have had he been healthy. Absolutely. Uh, now I'm going to put you on the spot, but feel free to to punt a little bit in the end. <laughs> Acuna or Betts for NL MVP? Because I said Betts. I said it was very, very, very close. But I said if I actually had a ballot where you can't just put both guys, I would have gone Betts Acuna. And I got some feedback. Let's just leave it at that. So if you feel like making a choice, who would you go with? So I'll start with the fact that I fully expect Acuna to win and fully very deservingly so. I think he had an amazing season. He is a guy who did not need new um, new disengagement roles or anything else in order to have a 40-70 season. I mean... This is the guy who in spring training two years ago talked about wanting to go 50-50 and 60-60. So I'm glad that he was the first guy to do it because it's so clear that he didn't need any of that to do so. That team was just a wagon all year and so much of it came from him. What he did leaning off the game and transforming the leadoff position First 40 homer guy out of the off spot. That brings me to Mookie, right? 39 home runs type the second most by any leadoff guy. He set the record ultimately for leadoff RBI, but Acuna's right behind him. To me, what it comes down to and what will get Mookie some votes and will get him, whether it's all of his second place votes or any first place votes he gets, is the defensive versatility. 
and how much people value that as part of that most valuable. Mookie Betts on a team that had Gavin Lux injured in spring training on a team that was in transition in a lot of ways at sort of um, premium position, went out there and said, I love second base, I'm going to play it. And this wasn't a joke, this wasn't a let me show off, this was let me help us win game. And he did that, I understand that. I believe he had like three or four games this year where he started his second and had an outfield assist. <laughs> think about that. He played his second for however many innings and then made an impact play from the outfield later in the game. I would vote for Cunha, not just because of the history, but because of everything he did. But I think that Mookie... What he did was incredible, and that is why the Dodgers were able to win 100 games in a season where most of us expected them to take a step back. Uh, how about Cy Young? I think uh, AL is going to be pretty straightforward, but NL, I thought was a mess, and not in a bad way. I actually said there were six guys who I think I could, if I really wanted to, make a case for them to be first on my ballot. And there's only five spots, so I almost apologized in my column, like, I like Justin Steele. I just wrote about him a couple of weeks ago, and he, I thought he was sixth out of sixth out of five. Right? <laughs> you just can't you just can't put enough names on there. So, um, I, I tell me if you agree with Garrett Cole for the AL Cy, and then what are your thoughts on the NL Cy, and what what should we even really be looking at? Because I feel like that's been the more interesting debate. The NL MVP has been a frustrating debate, and El Cy to me is a much more interesting one. I do agree with Gary Cole. I think he'll be unanimous. Gossman had a great year. There are other great years in the AL. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, so on and so forth. But for me, it's going to be Gary Cole, which is my sort of feather in my cap because we did our preseason top tens on MLB Network. I was the only person to have him in my top ten entering the year. And here he is winning Cy Young, I'm expecting. So that will be a thing I'll talk about for a few years. But <laughs> nationally, I would go with, and I'm expecting to see Blake Snell win. I think he is a fascinating case because he's a guy who has, I believe, only gotten Cy Young votes in the years he has won if he wins this year. <laughs> So it was just an interesting sort of up and down with season. I think that he was so dominant down the stretch. And not just down the stretch. I'm talking about final 23 starts. And they won 20 year, right? The only guys to do that are like, I have the list somewhere, but it's Bob Gibson. Bob and then Gibson, one of the guys in uh, 1914 and 15 in the Devil era. So... Being able to do that, have this stretch, he allowed 19 runs in that spam, which was absolutely incredible. I know that there has always been this narrative with him about innings and going deep and everything. But if you look at what he did, I mean, he went seven hitless innings in that game where they almost got no hitter. He went six plus, seven plus a ton. I think he is... He's a very different pitcher 
I'm the one that won that Young in terms of the trust that there appears to be in him. I think he was really good. I think Spencer Strider might be the most dominant strikeout pitcher in the game right now. But overall, his run prevention was not great in parts of the second half. Zach Allen is really, really good. There's so many other really good guys, but to me, it's Snell. Yeah, it's actually an interesting list of Gallon, a guy I definitely underestimated, saw him as a uh, his first spring training and thought mm, this is kind of a back end starter, right? Didn't realize how how especially his fastball, how well his fastball would play. Strider, I barely knew. No, I I mean credit to the Atlanta scouts who saw this yeah. guy had this invisible fastball, and he, as you said, he's a dominant strikeout guy. He's doing so much of it with the fastball, uh, so I find him fascinating. I I just think that that whole race is so incredibly interesting that it is. Again, what do you value? Do you value the bulk more with like Logan Webb, for example, or do you value the um, or do you value the dominance of a Strider or Blake Snell kind of sits in the middle, right? And I don't think any of these guys is at all a bad choice. And I meant to mention Logan Webb actually because I looked into this in maybe second or third last start of the year, but he. If you know sort of Giants fandom history, which I do because my mother was a big Giants fan, you know the concept of getting caned, which is going out there, pitching really, really well, and the team not winning the game. <laughs> it used to happen to Matt Cain all the time, especially in the first part of his career, like pre-2010. Logan Webb out-caned Matt Cain this year. He had, I believe, 12 starts, 11 or 12 starts, when the team scored one or zero runs total. He had all of these starts where he would go out there and pitch really well, but the team wasn't scoring. And so for him to still have the most innings and to be out there and competing the way he was, I mean, that short that he had at the end of the year, I believe, against the Padres when he threw that complete game. I was just so happy for him to be able to. They had scored in the bottom of the eighth. It was looking like another start where they weren't going to score for him. And for that to happen, that is a pitcher who really persevered. And I really think he deserves more consideration, even though he won't win. Fair enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, so let's talk rookies of the year. I think the winners are probably going to be pretty obvious. I won't say NL, but you can. In the AL, it's, uh, I think, clearly Gunnar Henderson. Both those winners could be unanimous. Is there anybody, do you disagree, obviously, if you say so, and is there anybody else sort of worth highlighting? Because I did, we, you know, you still fill out. I, it's only three names, but I did still spend, I probably spent more time over the third spot on my NL Rookie of the Year ballot than I did on the first spot or the second spot, actually. That's interesting. Um, I want I want to ask you that in a few weeks, or I guess I'll see it online. Uh, but I'll be curious what that was. I mean, yes, I will say the obvious. I am expecting it to be Corbin Carroll in the NL, and I love when a guy has exactly the season we're expecting in so many ways. He is a guy who was the hands down. Favorite, I don't know about betting or whatever, but he was certainly the guy who everyone on every site was picking to win the annual rookie year and rain the year. Now, I've been doing this long enough, and you certainly have, to know that those guys do not always win the award. Those guys do not always come out and have that incredible first season. They usually bring careers. But it doesn't mean that they're ready to go right off the bat. So for him to come out and be a 25-50 rookie and all that, and the way he helped that team, which again I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the surprise teams in baseball, so much fun. It's actually really fun that Gunnar Henderson is on the other surprise team, I said. And I think that's what's really cool about these teams is they're led by young players who have been really, really successful. I'll mention a few other names, just guys who we might as well talk about. For me, the first one I think of in the National League, not for offense necessarily, is Patrick Bailey. He was a game changer for the Giants behind the plate. When they went on their run, it was with him ending games with pickoffs at first base and what have you. He was so good behind the plate for them. He ran up gas a bit at the end of the year. He talked about being tired and not having played this many games because, of course, it's a different grind, but he was really, really good. And you know, unfortunately for Joey Bart, he just eclipses him. Last thing I wanted to ask about, so we're heading into the wild card round as you and I are talking, and I feel like predictions are kind of a little bit overdone. Also, it's three-game series, right? I'm sure I have a coin here I can flip, and that would be about as accurate as anything mm-hmm. you and I predict. So instead, let's just talk big picture. Who excites you? Who are you most interested in watching? You can say a team a staff, a particular player. I know you're going to watch every inning of every game. Uh, 
so that's it's not even that but like what gets you most excited about this group of teams or or any of these individual players so one of the first things i love about this field is that with that big trade last off season entering the year where we had batting champ traded for starting pitcher who was concerned to be pretty good in pablo lopez for luis arise and both of those teams make the playoffs in the Twins and the Marlins. I love that these front offices went out and got exactly who they needed. This is a twin staff that now strikes eyes out at a rate they have never done before. After being a kind of strikeout or burst pitching staff for so long, and he is a huge part of that. He is striking out guys like never before in Pablo Lopez and the Marlins even at you know, hitting four hundred, batting average, batting title isn't my go-to thing. Luis Rice was a game changer for the Marlins and I love seeing that team and Kim and go out at their trade deadline and get two very impactful players in Jake Berger and Josh Bell. I'm excited to see if they can hit some home runs in Philly. It'll be a really, really cool environment there. But I'm excited for all these teams. I love Vladdy getting a chance to meet me. I know he didn't have the season that he or Twins fans would have wanted. But he could go off over these next few days. You never know. And I love the postseason being a sort of um, pedestal for that. And, of course, we get Randy Rosarena, playoff Randy. We saw that in March in the WBC and, of course, in past postseason. I mean, I can go up and down and pick so many different players. I'm also excited. There's always, like, one or two relievers on a team that maybe isn't as broadly covered as the Yankees or Red Sox, who pitches Nathan in a playoff game, and everybody's like, who is that? And I'm fully expecting Renat to me, Abner Raymond on the moon. So I'm excited for that as well. Yeah, in the same category as Uribe, uh, Yenier Cano, who I think uh-huh. he had one of the best seasons of any reliever this year, um, completely out of nowhere guy. And now with Felix Bautista hurt, I just feel like Cano is so much more critical. I know losing one reliever doesn't change an entire team's fortunes, but it matters, right? He's there. They don't have a the right-handed part of their relief core. It was those two guys, and now one of them is gone. So Cano will be that much more important. And I think he's also someone where fans who haven't followed the Orioles might say, who the heck is this guy? Because he's been so unhittable, especially the first half of the season. He was almost literally unhittable. Well, and how about the storyline for Shintaro Fujinami, who debuts for the A's and is not what they were expecting or hoping, is not the starter they were hoping to have. They move into the bullpen, which is better at the bullpen comes to Royals and he's pitching high leverage innings and doing well. I love a in-season kind of redemption story. 
for a guy to find his place in his first year in the major. So I really, really like that as well. Absolutely. Any last thoughts, predictions on the postseason? You don't have to predict a World Series winner, but you can if you want to. They asked us to at the Athletic, and I just said Atlantics. I said I just picked the best team. Like, I don't know any better, so might as well be the best team. But I could also argue against them. You could say their pitching staff, their rotation is a little banged up right now, and first series is going to be tough for them, whoever they face because of that. You you could argue for a lot of teams. So any, you don't have to make a prediction. But feel free or just any other thoughts on what we're going to see this postseason. I mean, I'm really excited for just some new teams, some guys we haven't seen in the postseason in a while. We talked about the Dimebacks. I really like that they're there. Even if they lose both games, who knows? Um, you know, their pitching isn't set up the way they want for game one. So we'll see how that puts them. But I'm also excited to see if the Phillies can do this again and actually finish it this time. The Phillies were such a fun and dynamic team the entire month of October last year. They felt like the moment they clinched, it all came pouring back of the idea of this team gets it done some way, somehow. And they're in a much better spot than they were last year. Zach Wheeler was tired down the stretch last year. He is much better rested. I know they don't have Reese Hoskins, but guys like Bryson Sod have taken a step forward. And they have Trey Turner now, who, since the beginning of August, is World Baseball Classic Trey Turner, who almost won a WBC for the U.S. So I think there are a lot of reasons to think they're a lot better. And they are the team I picked. We'll see. I don't know if I want to go a full prediction here, but it's <laughs> going to be out there anyway. I love to see another team do what the Astros just did and what the Rose did a few years ago in winning the World Series this season after losing. Mm. Love it. Would love to see that. So looking forward to a great month of baseball uh, with the playoffs starting tomorrow. My guest today has been the incredible Sarah Langs. If you are interested at all in supporting Sarah's efforts for ALS awareness and research, you can check out Stars for Sarah, S-T-A-R-S-F-O-R-S-A-R-A-H.org. Follow Sarah on the site formerly known as Twitter or on Instagram for some great pro baseball. And I mean that in favor of baseball content. Baseball is the best. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. You are a true inspiration to us all. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Again, I want to encourage people to follow Sarah on social media or check out starsforsarah.org. Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease has affected, obviously, a lot of people in the baseball community specifically and in the sports community as well. One last thing I do want to say also is that uh, a former colleague of mine, Jim Capel, died, I think, unexpectedly uh, last night at age 61. I did not know Jim well. Um, I don't want to pretend we were close friends. We were merely work acquaintances, would always say hi, certainly. He was a good friend to many good friends of mine in the industry. And just seeing the outpouring of uh, thoughts and emotions 
on his passing. Again, 61 is just far too young. I say that as somebody who's 50. I don't like seeing that just on a personal level. But this is somebody who really left his mark on the industry. A lot of people are very are distraught and grieving um, at the loss of their friend. And, and I do think it says something about who Jim was as a person, never mind who he was as a sports writer. That just doesn't matter in the end. It's who you were as a person and what people think of you, the mark you left on other people through your relationships. And Jim clearly left quite a mark on our, on our industry and I was very, very sorry to see of his passing. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe. Stay safe.